0: Welcome to Whitewater Wesleyan Community Church, where we invite you to believe in Jesus, belong to his church, and become like him. Stay tuned for this week's message. We're in chapter 3 of the letter to the Colossians this morning, and starting at verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writes, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves... You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So if I ask for a show of hands, how many people believes God, believe that God loves them? Pretty much everybody. Everybody awake anyway. What about this? Do you consider yourself holy? <laughs> yep, that's what I thought. So I think we've been relating to the Colossians so far. They're small town people, they feel powerless at times, there's lots of discouraging voices that challenge their faith and disagree with them, Uh, they struggle between the old dead ways and this new way of living in Jesus, but holy. Isn't that where Paul loses us, right? So he says to the Colossians, God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Loves us? Yep, we could buy that. Holy, that's another matter. So what exactly is Paul meaning by calling us this name? What what is he meaning by saying this to them? And do they somehow stand completely separate from us? Do we relate to this scripture and learn from it and grow from it and and fit in with the Colossians until this point? Or is this meant for us too? Paul starts uh, labeling them as holy and and you begin to wonder is this where we disconnect from them or did they have the same reaction you had going holy god chose me to be holy well good luck with that god holy means separate it means set apart kind of different let your freak flag fly right and so uh, Paul, when he says this, he says you're, you're wholly other. You're completely separate. Totally different. And that God chose you to be that way. Apparently, God loves us and has a beautiful plan for us to be holy. To be totally different. And as a consequence, there are these traits that we're supposed to end up possessing. And, and so last week, we talked about the list of things that we're supposed to stop doing, the things that are part of the old dead ways that Paul says we need to kind of scrape off and walk away from and, uh, and live the new life that Jesus is offering us. And there, it, I, I said last week that that was kind of part one a part two of, of a two-parter. And, and this week... As he continues into this letter, he's saying, just like there's a list of things that we ditch, there's things that are associated now with the new way. And so he says, clothe yourself with these things. And he lists them out. He says, Close your, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And when he lists these things, these are the characteristics. These are the descriptors that he's adding to this picture of what it means for them To be a holy people. To be holy and set apart and different. He said you should be different in this way. Here's how you should stand out. You should be tender hearted. You should show tender hearted mercy. You should be clothed with that. You should be clothed with kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Then he says you should show allowance for each other's faults and forgive those who offend you. Like those are the things that should mark you as the people of God. That's what makes you different. The whole world walks around kind of angry and upset and looking for their way. And he says, This is how you stand out as completely separate, as not fitting in with the crowd, is that you show tender hearted mercy. You're kind, you're humble, you're gentle, you're patient. You allow for each other's faults and, and you forgive those who offend you. That's what marks us as a people. Like if if Christians, if church people are different from the rest of the world, it it should be those things that people recognize and go, man, they are freakishly tender-hearted people, aren't they? Those weirdos, they're all so kind. Those Christians, what a humble bunch of freaks. Gentle, patient. What is wrong with them? Those should be the criticisms or the praises that, depending on their perspective of whether they think those things are good things or not, that we're the kind of people who allow for other people's faults. Let that one sink in for a minute. That we look at people who are different, people who have faults, people that we think are getting it wrong, and we're just really forgiving about that. We, we, we have generous allowance for that. That we forgive people who offend us really easily. I don't know. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder, does this sound more like you? If you knew that's what holy is, is that, do you go, well, maybe I'm not fully, but, a, but part of it, yeah, I, I do try to be kind. I try to be humble. I, I, uh, I, I'm, I try to be gentle with people. I'd like to think of myself as tender-hearted or forgiving. Do you notice that all of those things, none of those things are kind of personal things for just you, Like they're all done in relationship. It doesn't mean anything to say you show tenderhearted mercy if there's nobody else involved. Like you can't do them on a desert island by yourself. Boy, that guy was really tenderhearted there in his room. Off on his own, doing his own thing. That woman is so kind. Yeah, who is she kind to? No one. Just Kind. Right, like They're they're all a list of things that are how we relate to each other as people. They're things that you can't do by yourself. So for people who believe, well, I I believe in Jesus and I just live it out by myself, this kind of argues with that. It says, this is what it means to be the people of God. This is what it means to be holy. This is what it means to follow Jesus and to live like him and to live the new life way instead of the old ways. He says, we treat each other in a completely different way. And it starts in here. This is where we grow that. You know, this is where we kind of get the seedling started. This is the greenhouse. And then we plant it and we start living it out everywhere. But it kind of starts here. And it's all about relationships. So you can't really do it alone. It's not a solo sport. So Paul lists these things and he says, the old way of life with the anger and the malice and and the sexual immorality and all those things that he listed, he said, you got to ditch that, but you got to ditch it so you've got room for this. These are the kind of behaviors. This is the kind of lifestyle. This is the kind of person that Jesus is starting to work in you to make you into. And you notice he says, clothe yourself with this stuff. Like, like it's not something that's just inbred in who you are, but it's something that we kind of have to work on and make a decision about. And so he uses this metaphor of clothing yourself. And then he says, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Is that a descriptor of us? Perfect harmony. I think that's what we were singing earlier, right? In perfect harmony. What if the singing could spread out into our lives? And then he says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Perfect harmony. It's not something that you can do alone. But he says, that's what those things are. tender-hearted mercy, kindness, kindness. Humility, gentleness, patience, allowance for other people's faults, forgiveness for people who offend you. That's the harmony. That's the love that he says should be reflected in who we are. And then he says, above all, clothe yourself with love. Like that's the mark, that's the identifier. As members of one body, you're called to live in peace always. And always be thankful. And so he gives this description. And along with the things that aren't part of our lives anymore. These are the things that mark us. These are the things that identify us. This is who we become. When we surrender to him. And, and he's kind of making plain right up front. This is the agenda. Like I, I want to move into your life. And this is what I'll do when I get there. And Paul says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. So as he's describing the people of God, he gets into this descriptor and he starts to describe really worship, right? Like what we did here this morning. He says, let the message about Christ in all its richness, fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. He doesn't say like, let one person teach and counsel you, but teach each other, like, like get into this together as a group, like figure out what this all means and how it works and, and teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that God's given you. And then he says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Now there are scholars who might try to parse this out and, and go, "Okay, here's we know what a psalm is. Well, I guess that's the Old Testament psalms. Although there's a lot of range in style within the psalms, right? There's lots of different psalms you can read. And, and if you start reading at Psalm 1, you won't get very far. Where you go before you go, I don't know that I could sing that one in church." Like some of them that we, that we quote or we use as a call to worship, you go, that's really beautiful. That's really nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. But you get to some of the, what they call imprecatory psalms. They're like psalms that, uh, that ask for bad things to happen to your enemies. That's not really the kind of attitude we want to bring into worship. But, but he's saying, sing psalms. Like psalms are, are songs from the heart. Like stuff that but then he goes on to say, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And all kinds of people can have all kinds of attitudes towards what they are. The scripture doesn't really describe them as separate categories and go, this is what a psalm is, and this is what a hymn is, and that's different than a psalm. And then different than a hymn is a spiritual song. I, I don't know if the People in Coloss would have said, yeah, yeah, we've got that, that psalm section of our songbook. And then, there's a, and then there's these that we show on the overhead projector. They're hymns, and then there's the spiritual. No, the hymns would be in a hymn book, right? And then the spiritual songs, well, that's the ones we throw up on the overhead. You know, that's when the, the VPU shines on the wall. It's not like that. We don't really get any descriptors. We don't get any definitions in Scripture of what they are. We just know there's different categories, different kinds of music used. And so without knowing specifically what they are, but knowing that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for training and instruction, like it's all good for us, we can get something out of it, what kind of message could we get if we don't know specifically what the difference between a psalm and a hymn and a spiritual song is? other than the fact that there's different ways to worship, right? I heard, I heard a, a guy from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada speak once, and he, he was kind of going around to different churches, and, and it was kind of a time when people were struggling between, uh, you know, traditional hymns and contemporary music. And, uh, and he said, and I'll never forget it, he said... Um, That some churches you go to, it's like they think God stopped uh, inspiring people to write worship songs at the turn of the century. Like nothing they're singing is newer than, you know, 1600, 1700. And then he said other churches you go to, you think God had only started inspiring people two years ago. I love that we're a church where we sing older songs, we sing newer songs, and that it doesn't matter which you sing, our, our criteria for letting songs be, which songs we choose in worship are really just, are they about Jesus? Do they say something good about God? Like, do they, do they help us to express something that's important? Do they explain in some way the theology of what we believe? Do they, do they kind of capture what we're trying to say when we worship God? So if they do, we don't really parse whether they qualify as a psalm or a hymn or a spiritual song or that garbage the young people are singing. We just go, hey, if it's about Jesus, if it worships, if it helps us to worship as a community, let's use that. And so Paul acknowledges that there's different styles and different ways of doing that and worshiping God with music. But he goes, it's all good. Use it all. Let the message about Christ in all its fullness, richness, fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. Like focusing on the teaching, singing great songs that worship God, and everything that we do or say being a representative of of Jesus. Isn't that the goal of what we do? We gather, we listen to some teaching about Scripture, we try to dig into it, we use our minds to say, was Peter on this morning or was he like way off? Like when he read the Bible, did that sound like what he said after or was it different? We teach, we sing, we sing. And then the next part is the part of the worship that bleeds into the outside world. Then we go to represent Jesus. He says, do it. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Teach, sing, represent. That's like the goal of what we do when we gather. And he brings up thanks three times and talks about how we're supposed to be thankful. And you notice at the beginning of this passage, he says, we're chosen by God to be the holy people he loves. We're chosen to be holy. And here he says, we're representatives of Jesus. You notice the, the, the three things that he said there? He says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord, Jesus. Peace isn't something that we feel when we're all alone and everything's quiet and still and there's no problems. He says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Rulers don't give up power very easily, Right? And if peace rules in us, it means peace is putting its foot down and going, everything else that isn't peaceful, that contradicts peace, that conflicts with peace. No, no. Peace is in charge in here. That's what's ruling me. That's what rules my life. It isn't in a quiet corner. It's as you walk around. He says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let it be in charge, whatever else is going on. Sense the peace of Christ and lean into that. And at moments we need to hear that more than others when we allow other things to steal our peace. And Jesus is going, like, it's it's peaceful. I'm still in charge here. This is still my world and and you're still my child, and I still love you, and I'm still working on you. And we feel anything but peaceful, but peace is something that we choose to allow to rule us. Like we listen to its voice more than we listen to every other voice that tells us not to be at peace. And then he says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Not just uh, listen to some stuff about Jesus and make sure you believe that and you line up your thinking and then go about your business. He says, let the message about Christ in all its richness, in every detail of its richness. It's so incredible. It's so rich. Let it fill your life. Your whole life should be filled with the message about Christ. That's not just something to fill your head with or to believe. It's something that fills the way you live. And then he says, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus And he reminds us that everything we do reflects on Jesus. You notice the common theme here? It's all about Jesus, it's his peace. And it's the message that he gives us about how to really live, which we kind of need the peace to really be able to focus on. And then he says, as you live it out, you live out and you actually represent Jesus. Like the things that you do reflect on him. And we either give him a good name or we give him a bad name, but, but it reflects on him. If we're his and we're walking around as his representatives, then how we do at living out these characteristics really makes him look good or bad. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I'm a pretty bad risk for him. Like, I don't know how I feel about people looking at me and going, oh, that, that's, that's what Jesus is like? Like sometimes, yeah, I feel pretty good, but, but not all the time. And it can be hard to live down a label like holy. It can be hard to live down all of these things. It can be hard to sense peace when everything else in us just wants to run scared. But Paul is saying, this is the goal. This is what he's trying to accomplish. This is the plan he has for you. And there's no, there's no plan B. God has chosen you for this purpose. He set you apart, and he's going to use you as his representative so that when people see you, they see a little bit of Jesus. And that feels pretty daunting, except for the fact that he says it's his peace and it's his message and that he promises to work on us until his work is complete. So Paul says, sing, sing sing, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, like get together and do these things to help form you into those kind of people. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to him through God the Father. So he puts them together and he says, this is your role. This is who you are in the world. This is why God's formed you as a people. This is why God put us together. So we can foster that in each other. So we can encourage each other in it. So that we can teach and counsel each other and, and, and be accountable to each other and, and help to shape each other's lives by the way that we treat others and the way we allow them to treat us. And we're not perfect at it, so we gather by ourselves so we can practice it, so we get better at it. So when we go out there, we've learned about it and we've ingrained it, not just in our heads, but in our hearts and in our lives so we can live it out in such a way that they get to see a little bit of Jesus when we walk around and when we live our lives. Let's pray together. God, this morning, uh, we confess that we feel really uneasy being called holy The idea that that's what you're trying to do in us makes us feel really overwhelmed with the thought that that's what you're trying to do. And yet you've called us for that purpose. That's what the scripture tells us. And we don't don't mind coming and singing songs about your love or how great you are. But we don't see ourselves as being all that similar to you. We try to be a bit like you. But we admit that we don't always do a perfect job. That we don't live it out when we're alone and we don't live it out in community with each other. That we don't live in perfect harmony. And we don't always allow peace to have the last word and to rule us. And that sometimes your message stays as a, an intellectual exercise and we don't. Always work out the details of it in our coming and going and how we, uh, how we live out our days. But we admit this morning that we can see in your word that that's exactly what you're trying to do. And if we had to do it by ourselves, we know that, we're, that things are really hopeless. Hopeless. But you have promised us your Holy Spirit and his power and you have started to work on us to shape us in that way. You chose us for it and you knew exactly what we were like when you did it. And so we just ask you for the kind of faithfulness that would allow you to do not only what you want to do, but what we know you have the power to do in us, to change us, to make us closer to that ideal, more like you to be more holy so that we represent better so that we've allowed your peace to rule and we've allowed your message to fill us and we've been good representatives of who you are and what your kingdom looks like so that people around us see at least something of you It's hard and we don't feel up to the task, but we know that you are. And so we ask you to do what only you can do. To give us lives that look like you. And reflect your love and your kingdom and your harmony and your peace and your message in every way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.